All right, that home needs prayer. <laughs> My home needs prayer. Does your, does your home need prayer? And that's why we're here. We want to uh, be mindful of the fact that each and every one of us represents a home. And maybe you're single, you have a home, and the Lord wants to bless it. Maybe you're married, the Lord wants to bless your home. Wherever condition you find yourself, we pray that the Lord would bless your home now. And my name is Israel. I was on staff here a while back, and it's so good to be back with you. And, you know, I can't tell you how, how joyful I get when I receive a call or an email or a text saying, can you come on a certain Sunday? And I always say yes. And so there, there it is. Uh, you are in my prayers. This church is in my prayers all the time. And when I think about what God is up to, I always think about Highlands Church because you have such a role in this community. You are one of the witnesses of uh, that. You're one of the witnesses. You're one of the evangelists as a congregation. Do you know that individual, individually we are evangelists? We are to share our story. We're to listen to other people's story. We are to see how our stories are interwoven together. But as a congregation, have you ever considered yourself as an evangelist together? You have a witness together, and I thank God for that witness. I pray that it gets stronger and stronger. We're in a series, Bless This Home, as we, as we know, and my goodness, we need blessings. We need the blessing of the Lord. How do you know when your home is blessed? How do you know when it's not blessed? We usually probably will figure out when it's not blessed, right? Because when you're blessed, you don't know any different. And sometimes it's easy to rest in that blessing as if it will be there no matter what you do, no matter what you say. And we know, we know and trust that the mercy and the grace of the Lord is always there. But at the same time, it should have a transformative effect on our hearts. And I pray that today you would listen to the word of God today and that you would not receive it for someone else, but you would receive it for yourself. That you would receive it for your home, whatever your home looks like. The Apostle Paul was, his home for a long time was a jail cell. His home was not a home he picked out, but it was a home that he had to live in. Have you ever felt like your home is a prison that you can't get out? My goodness, we got dark. Have you, ever, have you ever felt trapped? People feel trapped in marriages all the time. People feel trapped in their parenting all the time. Sons and daughters feel trapped by their parents. Can I pick another set of parents? Right? We feel trapped many times in our homes. And you are not alone. A lot of this has to do with our, our dynamics and, our, and our, what we bring. And it's very easy, as I always say, as we always say, it's very easy to point the finger and see everyone else's problems, and yet we overlook what we bring to the table. If you want to experience the blessing of the Lord, you need to hear His Word and obey Him. When you walk in His Word, when you walk in His will, my goodness, you can't help but bump into blessings. And you can go through things, difficult things, with a completely different perspective. Paul had a perspective, I think, that very few people, very few Christians I've ever encountered um, have. I like to listen to people who are suffering. Because they usually 
have removed the fluff and removed the pretense and removed the facade and the masks. Do you know what I'm talking about? How are you doing? I'm fine. Oh, really? No, not really. You know, that's how we talk. If we press, you know, people who are suffering, they don't have time for that. If you really want to know, they'll tell you. I know I'm mindful that there's people in here today that are suffering. Your, your home feels like a prison. You're suffering. And Paul is writing from a place like that. It's easy to talk about contentment, which is what we're going to look at today. It's easy to talk about contentment when you've got a raise. Praise the Lord. When you are in the home of your dreams. When your kids always do what they're supposed to do. When they take out the trash without you having to ask. When the list goes on and on. When your bills are paid on time by automatic withdrawal. Praise the Lord. You don't need to even lick a stamp, praise Jesus, to send that bill off. It's easy to praise God. Amen? To, to praise God and to, and to just rest in His blessing. It's good to do that. But Paul is not writing from that place. He is completely alone. He's in a dark cell. He doesn't know when his next meal will be because they don't feed prisoners in these types of jails. He's completely disconnected from the church. And he receives an offering from the Philippian church that he founded, the church in Philippi, a wonderful city of the ancient world established by the father of Alexander the Great, King Philip, named after him, about 386 B.C. It's a marvelous city. It's a strategic city that Paul planted a church in. He always picked cities that had inroads and outroads and, and, and commerce and, and all kinds of things happening in the city, much like Paso. Paso is an important city on the central coast. You provide a lot of wine <laughs> and a lot of good food and good family values and football, I think. Have we got some football up here? Yeah. My goodness gracious. And y'all not eat tri-tip too. So we got, all, we got a lot of things in common here. It's a good city to have good churches. How many know we need lots of churches in the city? And Paul planted a church there. And it was the only church that sent him money. And this is what he says at the end of his letter in Philippians. We, you're probably very familiar with Philippians. This is his final section of the letter. I wish I could read all of it, but you can do that later. Let's take a look at chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Let's take a look. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. By the way, this is a thank you letter. The reason for the letter, the occasion of the letter is what? He receives an offering and he wants to say thank you. But in the letter he never says thank you. Very interesting. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. In other words, they wanted, he knew that they wanted to give something before, but they didn't have an opportunity. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Hello, he's in prison. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation. Every situation? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And He's speaking of Christ. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Notice this phrase. This is the phrase that is used in the Hebrew Scriptures of the sacrifice and the incense that would go up, the smoke that would go up, and it was pleasing to the nostrils of God, so to speak. He is equating their gift to him with the same impact that, an, that, that a sacrifice on the altar would be in the temple, which no longer was in existence, most likely. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read your word. We thank you that we can hear it. But we have hard hearts. And we have uh, we've made an obstacle course of all kinds of reasons and doubts. We have made uh, barriers, Lord. To our listening, we pray that your spirit would help us break those down so that we can receive your word like the ground receives a seed, like fertile, broken up soil that has air receives a seed. We pray that you would water your, your word uh, with what you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is an amazing this is an amazing section to this letter. I mean, when you send somebody a gift, the first thing you probably want to hear is thank you. And he does send them a letter and it is known as the letter of joy because he uses the word rejoice a lot. But he never says thank you in this section. Because he has a different perspective. He is absolutely grateful to receive, but he doesn't say it. And some people think Paul is dipping into a little Stoic philosophy, Greek philosophy, Stoicism. You may have heard it in school, and you might work with someone who is a Stoic. They think that life is best when they eliminate 
their wants and their desires. Uh, it, it went like this. The philosophy goes a little like this. If you want happiness, if you want to be content, what you need to do is strip away things that you like. You cut off things that you like. Because, because when those things are taken from you involuntarily, you're not going to be reacting. It goes like this. You first start with a pencil, and you lose that pen, and you go, ah, oh, that's not a big deal. I don't care about that. Then you lose your dog, and then you say, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, that dog was a lot of trouble anyway. And then that goes, and then you lose your car, and someone steals your car. You're like, great, I really didn't like that car anyway. And then you lose a loved one. And you say the same thing. Good riddance doesn't affect me anyway you see how it goes this was actually a philosophy first you remove desire then you remove emotion it was an act of the will it was a human achievement they thought someone says a scholar says they created a desert and called it happiness and some people live like that and they don't even know anything about stoicism they cut themselves off from friends and family and they think, I'll be happier if I'm alone, if I have less. And they somehow think by their human achievement, with an act of the will, they can find contentment. And Paul, he uses the word contentment in the Greek. He uses their word, but he defines it completely differently. You see, Paul is not saying, I've gotten rid of all wants. He has not made his heart a desert. He, has not, he does not think that a desert of a, and a lack of emotion and will is peace. He doesn't think that at all. There are some people who would think Paul has gone there. Some other people think that Paul is kind of getting old and grumpy. I mean, when you've gone through shipwrecks, when you've been beaten, when you have been uh, left for dead on a number of occasions, when you are in prison, it changes you. Obviously, it does. Some people think he has become hard-hearted. He's become kind of grouchy. But they miss what he says. They really do miss what he says. You see, Paul is not a stoic. He is a Christ follower. Contentment is always out of our reach, isn't it? Wouldn't you say? Share with your neighbor what you think. If you look at your life or if you look at how people live, how we live in our culture, share with your neighbor, and I'm really asking you to share with somebody, what you think contentment is. I'm going to give you a, a moment to do that. Go ahead. Share what you think contentment is. You have to move around. Some of you are, are sitting by yourselves. I had some laughing over here. That was good. That's contentment probably. Are there any people that want to share what they think contentment is? 
Oh, you, oh, you didn't know. You didn't know I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Hold on now. Got, yes, I see Alicia. Peace and faith and trust in God. That's great. Yes. Gratitude. Yeah. It's so we're we're saying a lot of words to describe it. Yes. Yes. When you're satisfied. Yeah. Are you satisfied right now? <laughs> yes, sir. Realizing our blessings. That's good. Anyone else? This this side of the room has it covered. Uh, let me walk over here. Come on now. Contentment is what? I'm sorry. <laughs> Having someone else answer the question. <laughs> yeah, that's nice, huh? That's good. That's really, really good. People think that Paul got grumpy or that he is a stoic and they've missed it. He obviously was changed by his experience, but I truly believe what he's saying is, um, I didn't need your gift, but I sure appreciate it. That's a, that is a window into contentment. That's different than I don't care. And I don't want it. And I'm sending it back. It's like, whoa. Right? That's not what he's saying. He says, I wasn't, my head wasn't through the, the, uh, the jail cell. Banging my cup against, did I get any mail today? Did anyone care about me? And you were the only ones to do it, and I'm really mad at everybody else. He's not saying that. He's saying, I didn't need it. I've learned to live satisfied in every situation. How in the world do you do that, Paul? How can you do that in jail? How do you do that in darkness? How do you do that when you're hungry? How do you do that? He tells us, and we know this verse. What does he say? He says, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Okay. Stoicism says it's all about human achievement of the will. You teach yourself not to care. And Paul says, are you kidding me? I can do all things. I can be hungry because Christ strengthens me. Now, some people twist this around and think that God will somehow bless all your bad ideas. I can do all things. I can win the lottery. That is not what Paul is saying. And by the way, most people that win the lottery become very, they become unhappier. And I'm not saying money's bad. How many know you can give me money right now? And I'll be like, you know, I didn't need it, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> Man, that came out bad. Uh, I recall there's a story, you know, one of these preacher stories that are passed on and we change them. But there's a story of a really big city kind of, uh, you know, one of those uptight kind of guys. He's a, a businessman, and 
he was traveling and he went to a smaller town and he saw this fisherman. He was just lying down on the job. He was kind of looking lazy and he was even smoking a pipe. You know, he was really relaxed. And the businessman says, why aren't you out fishing? And uh, the small town guy says, uh, because I, I've caught enough fish for the day. Why don't you catch some more? What would I do with them? Said the fisherman from the small city. You could earn more money, said the businessman who was an industrialist. With that, you could have, uh, you get your motor fixed, I see over there, to your boat. You can go into deeper waters. You can catch more fish. Then you would make more money to buy more nets, more boats, more fish, more money. Soon you would have enough money to have a franchise, a fleet of boats. Then you would be rich like me. And that fisherman says, and what would I do then? He says, then you could really enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? <laughs> What are you doing now? We have believed the lie that contentment is right outside of our reach. We have believed the lie that contentment is found in our goods or in our skills or even in people. How many know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't thank God for the people in our lives. We need to do that. We should do that. And to enjoy people around us, even the grouchy people, the negative people. Why? They can serve as wonderful teachers for us. How not to be. We could just love them to death. And they will really get annoyed by you right and it's we don't love them to to make them angry that that's not what i'm saying you know we think that contentment is somewhere out there and somewhere up there that we need to climb the ladder by if we climb the ladder we'll reach it but the problem with climbing the ladder is you no longer look down and when you do you look down on people Contentment is always beyond our reach. Psychological researchers have developed some principles which help our understanding of why people are so upset, why they, have, why they are not satisfied, why they're not content. It's not that we have appetites that cannot be satisfied. There is a phrase that they use called the adaptation level Phenomenon. Have you ever heard of it? The adaptation level phenomenon goes like this. We feel successful and sometimes we feel like failures. We feel satisfied and we then we feel dissatisfied. And it's all related to our prior achievements. If our current achievements are below the neutral point, defined by our prior experience, then we feel dissatisfied. 
and frustrated. If they are above the neutral zone, then we feel successful and satisfied. Do you know what I'm talking about? So you're going to measure your life based on how crummy yesterday was. The problem is, is that your new good feeling becomes the new neutral. And so you never stop comparing your days with yesterday. It's like comparing, it's like I have a great marriage. Why would you say that? Because my last marriage was horrific. Okay, that's good. I mean, and there's a lot to be grateful here. But be careful that you are somehow thinking there's a formula to contentment by comparison. Paul is not, Paul would not dare say that. He's writing from prison. What he's saying is, it's not based on my will. It's not based on my achievement. It's not based on my yesterday. It's based on Christ. The question is, what are you doing today with Christ? Who is Jesus in your life? When someone asks you this question, when you ask this question, when I ask you this question, what comes up in your mind and your heart? Who is Christ to you? Is he trying to compete for your love? Is he in a competition inside your heart that you have a race going on to see who's going to give you the most satisfaction and whoever does that today is going to be number one that's how our hearts work but our hearts need to be tamed our hearts need to be taught put your faith in christ that's why people that win the lottery they feel great until They have to deal with it. What Paul is saying is that there's a secret. The secret that he discovered is simply this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, we know this verse, but what does it mean? It means that you must be in Christ. You need to be with Christ. You need to be about Christ. You need to be with Him. Paul's yes to Christ is so strong that it's able to say no to a lot of other competing goods in his life. Paul's yes to Christ is stronger than any other yes in his life. Do you want, your, you want the Lord to bless your home? Do you want to experience contentment? What are you waiting for? Receive Christ anew. Make your home not about you, not about your kids, not about the nice decorations or whatever. Make it about Christ. When you walk into your home today, say, this is, this home belongs Christ. Jesus, be the center of this home. Let's pray.
Lord, help us to be like our brother and the Apostle Paul, who was content, satisfied. He was satisfied when he was full. He was satisfied when he was hungry. He was satisfied when his hands were full or his hands were empty. It didn't matter. Lord, help us to be satisfied if we have lots of money. Help us to be satisfied now if we are not as well off as we think we could be. It doesn't matter, Lord. Help us to work hard. Help us to be generous. But most of all, Lord, help us to say yes to you more than any other thing or person. May we ever be content in you even now and tomorrow. And especially when we breathe our last, may we be content in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.